Breaking news this morning, Mary Poppins is officially racist. It took 60 years, but the beloved children's classic has officially been dubbed racist by the British Board of Film Classification, which upped the movie's rating from U, which is British for G, to PG, which is apparently the same in both British and proper American English. Mary Poppins lost its U rating, which indicates that the movie contains no material likely to offend or harm, because of a single word that virtually no one had ever noticed in the movie. Hot and tot. What's a hot and tot? A hot and tot is apparently a, quote, racially insensitive term for the koiko. Who are the koiko? The koiko, who used to be known as the koikoi, are apparently an indigenous group of South African nomads. Now, some have suggested that people are getting just a wee bit overly sensitive here, since virtually no one had ever heard of the Hottentots or the Koiko or the Koikoi. But in many ways, we are not nearly sensitive enough. Over the past decade or two, pretty much every word that you were once not allowed to say on TV has made it to TV, to streaming, to basic cable, even to some degree to network TV. Lucy and Ricky Ricardo were not able to share a bed as a married couple in the 50s. Now you can hardly find a show that does not regularly promote extremely weird sex stuff. And beyond the simple swear words, TV shows regularly demean whole groups of people, straight white men in particular, some others as well. And they mock the United States and they blaspheme God. All things that would have been unthinkable even just two or three decades ago. Those taboos were overturned. You can pretty much say anything you want. You just can't say Hottentot. Ah, progress. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Hot and tot. Uh, George Takei, who you might remember from Star Wars or is Star Trek. I think he was on Star Trek. He was either Star Trek or he was Jar Jar Binks or Captain Kirk. I don't know what he was. Anyway, he's some old like science fiction guy. Uh, he just said that the murder of Lake and Riley, a poor university student who was allegedly murdered by an illegal alien, that that murder will be used, will be pounced upon by the far right to intern illegal aliens. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, head over to foodforthepoor.org slash Knowles. It's important to slow down. Think about how to lift and help others. Thankfully, there's a company that dedicates everything to helping the less fortunate. That is Food for the Poor. With the help of their generous donors, Food for the Poor is able to provide food, housing, healthcare, education, fresh water, emergency relief, and much more. So how can you help? Thanks to a meal-for-meal match, a donation of 80 bucks can feed two children for an entire year. 160 bucks would feed four children, and 320 bucks would feed eight children. Your generous gift today changes how families view tomorrow. Donate now by texting Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 51555, or by visiting foodforthepoor.org slash Knowles. That is Knowles. Text Knowles to K-N-O-W-L-E-S to 51555. Five five five, or go to foodforthepoor.org slash Knowles right now. 
Open your wallets, give what you can, foodforthepoor.org slash Knowles. We do have some good news on the taboo front. It's not all hot and tots and koi koi's and Mary Poppins, you know, getting a triple X rating. Uh, pride flags have been banned in the classrooms of my state, Tennessee. This is really, really great news. And the libs are upset about it. Here from the Daily Mail, this is being reported on from all the way over the pond. Headline, pride flags will be largely banned in classrooms across Tennessee as Democrats scream out in the state house when GOP vote through the law. So you, you remember that image of the woman when, when it was announced that Trump won? And she goes, no, no. That was the Democrat representatives in the Tennessee state house. Tennessee House passed a bill that would ban pride flags from schools. Democrat representatives and protesters disrupted the proceedings. I love this. It's not just the weirdos. It's not just the eccentrics. It's not just the activists. Whenever some eccentrics or activists on the right side, on the conservative side, go into the Capitol and, I don't know, take selfies or whatever, we're told that's an insurrection. That's the disruption of an official government proceeding. These people need to go to, to uh, uh, who's he what's this, to uh, solitary confinement. But when it's Democrat representatives who are in the Capitol who show up and start screaming and whining and crying, all of a sudden, that's totally fine. They interrupt an official proceeding, no big deal. The Senate has a stricter version of the law where parents can sue over the flag. So the law hasn't passed yet because the House has its version. The Senate has its stronger version. Then obviously it's got to go be signed by the governor. Uh, Beautiful stuff. Even the way it's being framed is so silly. The law does not ban pride flags. The law says that the only flags in a public classroom are going to be the American flag or, if you like, the Tennessee state flag. Why, why is that controversial? And why is that, why is that suddenly a law about the pride flag? You can't fly a Nazi flag in the classroom. I don't think you should. Okay, that's gone. You can't fly a hammer and sickle flag. I certainly don't think you should. The libs probably think you should. But Okay, you can't fly that one either. Why is it always about the pride flag? The reason for that is that the the pride flag, the gay flag, is the flag of the liberals. They have more loyalty to that flag than they have to the star-spangled banner. And of course they do. Just following their own premises and their own logic, they certainly would. Because they say that America is evil, and the flag, the star-spangled banner, is the symbol of America. So what does that symbolize to them? To me, it symbolizes a great, wonderful nation, our patrimony that we've inherited, the, the great vision and sacrifice of our ancestors, truth, justice, and the American way. But what it symbolizes to the libs is uh, colonialism, genocide, slavery, empire, all the, any, name any bad adjective. That's what it symbolizes. And so there's, there's no surprise that they're trying to replace that flag with the rainbow flag or even the really militant rainbow flag, you know, with the BLM lines and all, and they keep adding colors to it. So it, it's not only justified, but it's actually important, it's urgent for uh, Tennessee legislators to say, no, we have, we're one state, we're not two states, we're one country, we're not two countries, and we have a symbol. When, this is a hobby horse of mine, and I wrote a whole book about it called Speechless. <clears throat> Thank you. When you change all the symbols, <laughs> when you change the way people talk and the words we're allowed to use and the things we call men and the things we call women and how we view it, you change the, the way people view the world and the way that they view themselves. You change the whole country. 
The fact that the Democrats are shrieking about this should be a good sign that the Tennessee legislators are really onto something here. Now, speaking of education, uh, Time Magazine is attempting to normalize suicide. So we remember a couple of days ago that airman, that very poor, confused airman, lit himself on fire because he really supports Palestine liberation or whatever. And and some people uh, exalted him as a great example of, of noble protest or something or a great example of dying for a good cause. Uh, th- that is totally... Uh, antithetical to the Christian tradition, at least. It's antithetical to, to the tradition in our civilization. Uh, certain pagans have done that. Certain leftists have done that. But uh, it's very wrong. There is no excuse for suicide ever. It's never justified for any reason. Um, cer- certainly not for... Could you imagine you're just some random guy from America, some random leftist. You've signed up to serve your country. That's an honorable thing to do. And then you decide to set yourself on fire in this horrific display for the cause of Palestine liberation of all of the causes. Could be the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. Could be, I don't know, any con- any cause seems uh, more reasonable than that. Could be a conflict that directly pertains to your country. Anyway, now Time Magazine, a lot of leftists are trying to justify and normalize this. And here's what they say. Forget about what they say about the, the airmen. They say, the practice of self-immolation dates back centuries, according to ancient Hindu tales of Sati, the wife of a Hindu god who got married without her father's approval. Uh, Some retellings of her life say that Sati burned herself to death on her husband's funeral pyre and are used as justification for the practice of ritual suicide that has long been banned in India. I want to put a pause there. That's true. There was a practice. It wasn't all that widespread, but it did occur where wives would be (laughs) <laughs> they usually wouldn't choose to throw themselves on the funeral pyre. If they did it in any way of their own volition, it was because they had resigned themselves to their fate. They were they were pressured and coerced to be burned alive with their, their husband's burning bodies. And do you know why that's long been banned in India? Because British Christians came in and outlawed it. <laughs> That's why it was not, uh, whenever you see the passive voice in any of these left-wing articles, just ask yourself, why are they putting this in the, in the passive voice? Who actively did this? And the people who actively did this were the British and specifically Christians, because this is obviously immoral. But then Time Magazine goes even further. They say, self-immolation was also seen as a sacrificial act committed by Christian devotees. Hold on. What's a Christian devotee? This reminds me of when the Libs referred to a bunch of massacred Christians as Easter worshipers. Do you remember that? I think it was Hillary Clinton who said that. Easter worshipers. Christian devotees. What's a, you mean a Christian? You mean a Christian is what you're talking about. So you're saying self-immolation was also seen as a sacrificial act committed by Christian Christians who chose to be burned alive when they were being persecuted for their religion by Roman Emperor Diocletian around 300 AD. Okay, so... Look, I was just an undergraduate history major. I don't have a PhD. I'm not an academic historian. But seems to me that those Christians who were burned alive under Diocletian didn't exactly choose it. <laughs> they chose not to worship the pagan gods. They chose to keep their faith in the one true God. But they didn't, they didn't douse themselves in gasoline and light themselves on fire. They were burned to death by Diocletian and the pagans. And, and so all of this... There are so many layers to this kind of a news report. 
the erasure of the good that Christians have done and the courage that Christians have shown and the uh, papering over of cultural and religious differences, sure. But the thing that I can't get over is just the blithe ignorance. This is Time Magazine. These are people who are supposed to know. I'm not saying they know the intricacies of debates between the scholastic philosophers. I'm not saying they know the uh, precise chronology of Babylonian history. But you don't know about the Diocletian persecution. This is basic stuff. This is stuff that high school students would have known a couple of centuries, a couple of, not centuries, a couple of generations ago. Does anybody know anything anymore? The answer is no. And that's fine. It's, uh, some people, you know, they, they have other interests. But if your job is to be a journalist and your job is to cover these precise stories, how about you read like one book ever? Like one, just one book would be enough to not write this. I, I hope this was written by AI. Sadly, I think AI would have done better. AI isn't all that impressive either. But AI would have done better than whatever know-nothing journalist wrote this drivel. It's humiliating, not just for this individual, not just for Time Magazine. It's humiliating that we live in a country with this degree of ignorance among our elites. Now, when you want to know answers to questions, you ought to check out the yes or no game. Yes or no is the Daily Wire's number one hit party game. With 200 cards filled with titillating topics and the ability to play up to nine people at once, you can put your knowledge of your friends and family to the test, much as I did in my episode with Lauren Southern. Take a look. A gay duck. <laughs> and to be a gay duck in the United Arab Emirates. Lauren, please don't downplay that. This is your last chance to get 30% off your bundle with the classic yes or no game and conspiracy expansion pack with over 110 new cards. Go to dailywire.com slash shop today for 30% off and subscribe while you're at it to the Michael Knowles YouTube channel. Smash, ring, ding dong, fling, click the thing, whatever, and then you can subscribe to the channel. Speaking of imperial leadership, big news out of Michigan, President Trump won the Republican primary. Which no one, I didn't even lead the show with it because obviously he won the Republican primary in Michigan and he's going to win every other state and it's not even going to be close and he's obviously the nominee of the party. Uh, this one, I haven't even checked the latest results. When I checked last night, they'd already called the race. It was something like 66 to 30. The numbers may have expanded or contracted since then. It doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, right now, President Trump in the race has 119 delegates. Nikki Haley has 20 delegates. Ron DeSantis has nine delegates. Vivek has three. So Vivek and DeSantis have dropped out unless, for whatever reason, a huge number of voters in the future states decide to, to cast a ballot for Vivek and DeSantis. Uh, they're going to stick at three and nine, respectively. Haley, I guess, is going to stay in the race as long as she can until the money runs out to try to keep gobbling up more delegates. The issue is you need 1,215 delegates to win. And so if, it, if this pace keeps up, Haley is just going to get clobbered because she's, she's not going to increase in the percentage of the vote she's getting. As she runs out of money and as she runs out of campaign staff, her, her percentage is going to drop significantly. So she was able to massively outspend Donald Trump in South Carolina. She still came in 20 points behind. Then you move on to Michigan. Then you move on to Super Tuesday. So I see why she remains in the race. I guess it's savvy enough for now because she can position herself as the clear number two in 2028. 
but she's already the clear number two. DeSantis and Vivek are not getting any more delegates. No one else is getting any more delegates. So she could still make that claim with a straight face. I guess she has nothing to lose in that if, if she stays in it longer, she's, she will lose the nomination. But if she stays in it longer, she can get a few more delegates and she can come in a few more delegates stronger uh, to, to make her pitch in 2028. Uh, but uh, that said, it's just, it's just over. I, I will keep mentioning the primaries on the show because I feel that we probably have to talk about the Republican presidential primary, but for all intents and purposes, it's over. And it's been over for some time. Uh, another piece of evidence for this is not just the results coming in from the states. It's what's going on in the national party. So Ronna McDaniel, who has led the RNC for a long time, she's one of the longest leaders in modern Republican history, uh, maybe ever in Republican history. Ronna has stepped down in the in the middle of her uh term as the chairman of the RNC. She said, it has been the honor and privilege of my life to serve the Republican National Committee for seven years as chairwoman to elect Republicans and grow our party. I've decided to step aside at our spring training on March 8th in Houston to allow our nominee to select a chair of their choosing. Now, she says of their choosing. It's obviously Trump. She's using the, the kind of uh, transgender singular they, but it's it's Trump. He just She doesn't want to say his or her choosing, also because it's Trump who's pushing her out. Uh, the RNC has historically undergone change once we have a nominee, and it has always been my intention to honor that tradition. Okay, so she's she's doing it in a way that can save a little bit of face. Uh, that's fine. It, this was inevitable. People are attacking Rana because they say she didn't have a particularly good run, and she didn't. She, she entered in 2017, so that was after the Trump 2016 run. And Republicans have complained about disappointing results in all of the elections since then. Uh, I go softer on Ronna because I, I just don't think the RNC matters all that much. I think that the most important thing in these races is candidates and political circumstances. You know, you've got the individuals and you've got the political context. I guess they're, they're kind of vying for top spot. And then after that, you've got uh, donors, you've got the, the grassroots support, you've got cultural changes that are going on. I guess that ties in with the political context then, and, and global context even. You know, these things tend to come in waves. So the election of Trump comes along with Brexit. It comes along with right-wing movements in the, the rest of Europe. Uh, so you get all of that. Somewhere, then you've got the super PACs. That's really important. That's in the number two or number three spot. Then you've got uh, You've got the other candidates who are running to see what kind of alliances you can make there. And then way, way, way down that list, you get the party committees, especially in the case of the RNC. The DNC exercises a little bit more control over the Democrats than the RNC does. So anyway, she's out. And, and the reason the story matters is it is just further proof. Trump owns the RNC and Trump owns the Republican Party. And there might be 20% of Republicans who really don't like it or more, even call it 30%, I don't know, whatever, the, the kind of people who are still going to be voting for Nikki Haley here. But that means that you got 60, 70, maybe 80% of Republicans who are perfectly fine with Trump leading the party. And when you hear people complain about the Trump takeover of the Republican Party, ask yourself why that was allowed to happen. Before you go blaming the big mean orange man for why he took over the Republican Party, how, how did that happen? How did a New York billionaire come to take over the grand old party, supposedly the Southern Conservative Party? Because the party had been rotted out. It had been so corroded by, by stupid ideas and failed strategies and a 
uh, misplaced loyalties and priorities that the rank-and-file Republicans said, forget about this. We don't want these guys anymore, these, these squishes and these establishment types. We want someone to shake it up. And that would be Trump. And I think that, broadly speaking, that has been a very good thing. Now, there's a big debate in the GOP right now. And I have somehow found myself at the center of this debate, <laughs> even though I didn't really intend to. I just stated my views as I see them. Happens to be the view of uh, many, many Christians, certainly of Catholics, many other uh, Protestant Christians as well. Tends to be the view of most of the pro-life movement. Uh, and it's the view that IVF and the surrogacy industry are just maybe, let's say, a little bit morally dubious. And you could probably go a little further than that. But at the very least, say it's a new technology where it's touching on the origin and destiny of human life. It entails buying and selling people and cre creating people in a, in a dish, establishing the domination of science and technology over the origin and destiny of human life. And maybe we should just slow down a little bit here, okay? Um, th this really came up because the Alabama Supreme Court correctly ruled that the state constitution uh, recognizes that life begins at conception. And if life begins at conception, then this, this poses a problem not only for Planned Parenthood, it's good, we all want to get rid of Planned Parenthood, we all want to get rid of the abortionists, but uh, it also poses a problem for the surrogacy industry and the IVF industry. Because if life begins at conception, then it raises all sorts of questions about how uh, one can be permitted to to purchase new life or to create a lot of little babies in a test tube and then put them in a freezer forever. Or then after that, destroy, as, as happens most of the time with IVF, destroy the babies who have been kept in the freezer forever. Or what happens when uh, a, a married couple decides to put some babies in a freezer and then they get divorced? What happens to those babies? Or if one or more of the parents dies, what happens to those babies? And so it creates all of these bioethical problems. The, the Supreme Court of Alabama was simply ruling on the state constitution, but then Certain Republicans said, hey, hold on, we don't want to be seen as being opposed to IVF because a lot of people have had their kids through IVF and a lot of people like IVF. President Trump came out in support of IVF. Carrie Lake came out in support of IVF. Senator Tommy Tuberville was kind of caught in the middle on this. And so here I am, I'm under fire. I was just attacked this morning by the Biden campaign of all, of all places. Kind of funny. I was attacked by our supposedly Catholic president for quoting directly from the catechism of the Catholic church. Happens very often, I suppose, these days. Uh, but the Biden campaign came after me on this. I think Republicans are m somewhat missing the point on why the Democrats are pushing this IVF issue so hard. We'll get to it in one second. First, though, go to goodranchers.org, code Knowles. Did you know that over 5 billion billion pounds of meat are imported into the U.S. and sold here annually? That is why you need good ranchers. They are the number one source for 100% American meat that I trust to feed my own family. I absolutely adore uh, good ranchers. All of the food, I guess, probably my favorite cut. Well, no, actually, my favorite is probably the ground beef, the burgers. Though the ribeye is a very close second. The chicken is magnificent. All of it, all of it is just so good. And you got to switch from the grocery store to Good Ranchers right now. You'll get way better quality with Good Ranchers. You will pay less money. You will have it delivered straight to your door. I don't really get how the finances of this company work, but it is magnificent. So go to GoodRanchers.com, pick your box, use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Get the meat you can trust from a company that shares your values. Go to GoodRanchers.com, code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to claim over 900 bucks in free bacon. $900 worth of free bacon before their leap year sale ends. Goodranchers.com, American meat delivered. John Oliver, 
who is extremely annoying and I don't think particularly funny or insightful. But John Oliver is a major voice of the Democrat Party in America. <laughs> not American, <laughs> annoying, not that funny, <laughs> not missing the point on a lot of things. He, the guy's the perfect Democrat. And uh, John Oliver just ran a segment that I think was really insightful on IVF and that Republicans can really learn from when we're trying to deal with this new political issue. Some politicians suddenly seem alarmed to have to deal with the consequences of a movement that they have actively empowered. Nikki Haley, for instance, spent the week trying to reconcile her position that when you're talking about an embryo, you're talking about a life with what that actually means in legal terms. Meanwhile, watchers, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville seemed to realize the problems with his position in real time. Do you have a reaction to the Alabama Supreme Court ruling on the fact that embryos are children? Yeah, I was all for it. We need to have more kids. We need to have an opportunity to do that. And this, I thought this was the right thing to do. But IVF is used to have more children. And right now, IVF services are paused at some of the clinics in Alabama. Aren't you concerned that this could impact people who are trying to have kids? We need more kids. Well, guess what, Tommy? I've got great news. Since your political philosophy seems to begin and end with, we need more kids, you'll be thrilled to know that thanks to a judge in Alabama, there's now whole freezers full of them. Go play with all those frosty kids, Senator. Or maybe that's not what you had in mind when you think of children, which is exactly the f point here. There it is. There it is. Not a good argument from John Oliver, but a great demonstration of why the Democrats are trying to push this IVF issue on us right now. And they're trying to get Republicans to, to embrace IVF. They're, they're trying to do it. One, it's a, it's a really good wedge issue because it's a novel issue. People haven't really thought about it very much. Everyone knows someone just about who has at least tried IVF. IVF isn't always that successful, but they've at least tried it. Or maybe they've got a niece or a nephew who is conceived via IVF. The technology has been around long enough. It's still new, but it's been around long enough that people have seen some of the effects and they haven't really thought through the bioethical implications of it. So they know that it's a good issue that people just don't quite have strong opinions on yet. And if they lean anyway, they probably lean toward liking it for the reason Tommy Tuberville just said, because we like, we want more life. We want more life. But the reason that they're trying to get us all on, on the record here and they're trying to get us all to embrace IVF is not just because they think that the contrary would uh, alienate you know, suburban independent voters or something. The reason they're trying to get us to, to embrace IVF is because they know that it undercuts our argument on abortion. Because the conservative, the pro-life argument on abortion is that life begins at conception. You shouldn't kill people, basically. <laughs> you... you, you uh, when, when the sperm and the egg come together, that's, that's life. That's the beginning of life. And so you don't just magically become a human person at five years old. You don't magically become a human person at three years old. You don't magically become a human person at three months old in your mother's womb. You, you become a human person at, at the beginning of your life. And so, so we say life begins at conception. It's, it's like a truism to say life, the beginning of life is the beginning of life. Okay. But if that is true, then no matter how grateful we are to IVF technology because it gave us our niece or nephew, no matter how grateful we are or, or dazzled we are by scientific advancements, 50 years ago, we couldn't create human beings in a test tube. Now we can. Isn't that amazing? We have to grapple with the, the reality of the situation, which is that if life begins at conception, then the thing that we're creating in those test tubes is human lives. And it raises a ton of profound ethical questions about how we are to make human lives. Do we, are, are we, is it good to create new life 
by going to the marketplace and paying $200,000 and ordering a, a child out of a catalog, as many people do through the IVF industry, going, finding a surrogate somewhere in some third world country, renting her womb, finding some woman, purchasing her eggs, intentionally creating a child to deprive that child of his natural mother or father so that the child can be raised either by a single parent by two fellas or by two women or even by a married couple that is having trouble conceiving, even even in that case, which to most people seems by far the most justifiable, even then it raises all sorts of ethical questions. And then we haven't even gotten to the most obvious ethical problem here, which is that we're creating people to put in a freezer forever. And then you you put them in a freezer forever until until the people who own the freezer or or even the parents who conceive the child don't want them to be in the freezer forever. And then what happens? They kill them. They kill the kids. So it's a, it's a smart wedge issue for the Democrats and probably the politically prudent thing to do. As I have said from the very beginning, if I were advising President Trump, who I think is great, most like pro-life president in my lifetime, or if I were advising Kerry Lake or if I were advising Senator Tuberville, I would say, Probably the the wise thing to do here, knowing that this is a novel technology, this is a bioethical issue that people haven't really thought thought through, and this poses a major political hazard, and the Democrats know it, and that's why they're pushing it, is maybe don't come out totally endorsing IVF and the surrogacy industry right now. Maybe just proceed a little bit with caution here. Maybe recognize this is a trap being laid out for the Democrats, and you don't need to undercut the the wise conservative judges in Alabama who are simply interpreting the Constitution as it necessarily ought to be interpreted. Uh, and maybe don't undercut the pro-life movement, and maybe don't undercut I mean, I forget, I don't know, lots of Christians, and and, and not, it's not even just Christians who, ha- who have uh, moral qualms about this kind of technology. It's lots of other people too. Maybe just don't fall for the trap. That's what I would, that would be my recommendation anyway. Democrats are very, very crafty. Of all people, John Oliver just showed it. Now, speaking of Democrats, George Takei, who was in Star Trek, and for some reason we need to listen to his views on politics. George Takei uh, just brought up the murder of Lakin Riley, who I, I haven't even really covered this story. It's just so terribly sad. It's a University of Georgia student, young gal, who was allegedly murdered by an illegal alien when she was out on a run. Uh, George Takei is very upset by this. Not that an illegal alien who had no business being in this country murdered a young American girl. Not that Joe Biden and the Democrats have invited these illegal aliens by the millions into the country so that they have blood on their hands. They are responsible for these murders and all the other crimes associated with it. We'll get to some of the other crimes in just a moment. George Takei is not upset about any of that. George Takei is worried that... If we keep even talking about all the crimes the illegal aliens are committing and the murders they're committing, the blowback on innocent illegal aliens could just be so terrible. Norm MacDonald had a bit on this, the late, great Norm MacDonald. He said, said, you know, my biggest fear is that uh, someday a Muslim terrorist will smuggle in a dirty bomb into a major American city, killing tens of millions of people. Because then the, the blowback on peaceful Muslims would be terrible. <laughs> And, that, and his guest didn't know how to respond. He said, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, okay. George Takei is now doing that bit. He's now embodying that bit. He says, quote, uh, I know your type of politician. He's speaking to the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Men like you smeared my community, I guess George Takei is Japanese, during World War II by preying upon people's fears of others who didn't look like them. It led to the internment 
and 125,000 shattered lives. Never again. Okay. Okay, this one's going to get me in trouble. I, I just, but I, I just have to. There were a lot of Japanese spies in America during World War II. Okay, there were a lot of Japanese spies. You don't need to take my word for it. I'm not saying I'm justifying any of the Franklin Roosevelt policies. I'm not a big fan of Franklin Roosevelt. But there were a lot of Japanese spies in America. Actually, this is from the CIA. This was declassified by the CIA. Uh, we, we see this in uh, Washington Times, uh, May 1983. Uh, a substantial number of Japanese Americans living on the West Coast during World War II were spies for the Japanese government, according to secret Japanese diplomatic codes of the period. So the United States government interpreted, uh, uh, received Japanese diplomatic codes and interpreted them and discovered that the Japanese had a lot of spies in the United States. Uh, the Japanese foreign ministry's own cables appear to contradict findings of a federal commission, which reported February 24th that there was no military reason for confining some 117,000 Japanese Americans to isolated camps from 1942 to 1945. So the, the U.S. government apologized for this. And, you know, Roosevelt had a lot to apologize for. But the irony, the historic irony here is that the Jap Japanese actually admitted that they had a lot of spies in the United States. And, and this ties into the very story that George Takei is talking about, because this is one of the big threats posed by mass migration, by unvetted large-scale migration. This is what's going on right now. Do you know last year, we're no longer all that worried about going to war with Japan. We are worried about going to war with China. We're worried about going to war with China over Taiwan, over the South China Sea, because China's a rising power. And three quarters of the time in recent history, when rising powers challenge dominant powers, a major conflict ensues. Well, last year, U.S. Border Patrol and Customs uh, reported 37,000 Chinese citizens apprehended crossing illegally from Mexico into the United States. That's a lot of people. And you might say, oh, that's kind of strange because I don't think China, how does geography, we don't learn a lot about geography in America, but is it America, Mexico, China, Guatemala? I don't, where is, I kind of forget where all the countries are. No, China's on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. So how did they get there? They're flying in through the Southern route to our neighbors and then crossing illegally. That 37,000 number is pretty large. That is more than 50 times what we saw just two years earlier. 50 to, why is there a 50-fold increase in Chinese illegal immigration into the United States across our southern border? Is that, is that at all troubling? Uh, that's a little bit troubling to me. If we had good vetting, if we had, if we had a reasonable migration policy, and we had a process of assimilation, you wouldn't worry about these things. The government wouldn't have worried about these things in, 19, in the 1940s. Japan would not have sent spies to America in the 1940s. China would not be a big worry right now. But that is what is happening. The big fear. Also, what, what do you think is going to happen? We're not even talking about, in the case of the Japanese, we're talking about legal immigrants. In the case of these illegal aliens from America, they already should be interned in jails and then sent back to their countries, deported. That, just, just according to the law that already exists on the books. Totally incomparable stuff. But when we don't know about history, we don't, we just, we just repeat it or we come very close to repeating it. Now, speaking of protecting young people, I mentioned one of the biggest problems with the Southern border right now. It's not even just the people coming across. It's not even just the social chaos that causes and the economic problems that causes. It's, it's the fentanyl. It's the drugs. And this involves the Southern border and it involves China. Fentanyl is a drug 
that kills kids, often who are experimenting with drugs, period, for the first time. Between July of 2019 and December of 2021, according to the CDC, 86% of adolescents who died of a fentanyl overdose had never previously experienced a drug overdose. There's a really, really good report on this in the free press. That's Barry Weiss's outlet. This is by James Fishback. Highly recommend you check out the whole thing. Last year, the DEA seized more than 77 million fentanyl pills. That is the most in a single year. One of these pills can kill you. One of these pills could probably kill two people or more. This, this is killing 200 Americans per day. This is totally gut-wrenching. And it, it's not as though we don't know where it's coming from. We know exactly where it's coming from. The, the um, materials that are used to make these fentanyl pills come from China. Coincidentally, they come from Wuhan or, and around Wuhan. They come from China. The Chinese ship them in to Mexico. Then they cross by the cartels. The cartels create the drugs. They ship them into the United States across the open border, the border that the Biden administration is intentionally opening. When Texas creates its own border wall because the federal government won't do its job, Joe Biden sends his thugs to take the border wall down, to bring this stuff into the country. The people who are dying, the 200 Americans, forget about the Americans even who are being murdered by the, the illegal aliens, the 200 Americans who are dying every day from these fentanyl overdoses, That blood is on Joe Biden's hands. He is doing this intentionally. It's not that he hasn't had warning. It's not that he doesn't know what's going on. Even Joe Biden, who doesn't know what end is up, he knows exactly what's going on in this issue. And the Democrats have made a very cynical play to keep that border open because they think it will help them politically. And if the cost is 200 American kids dying every day, well, so be it. That's just the cost. Tomorrow only, Jeremy's Razors is offering an insane deal for Leap Day. You can get the Precision 5 trial set, a toiletry travel bag, Leftist Tears Tumbler, and Jeremy's Microaggression Chocolates all bundled together for 29 bucks. That's an $80 value. You don't want to miss this deal. This once-in-every-four-year sale is tomorrow, February 29th. It is for one day only. Get it tomorrow at jeremysrazors.com before the offer ends. My favorite comment yesterday is from Dan Lebu, who says, if Lincoln were around today and running against the Democrat Party, they would have impeached him. They would have murdered him, as they did. <laughs> Actually, you don't go quite far enough. They, they, would, they would have murdered him. And who knows? I got to pray for President Kofefe because they clearly want to take him out too. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to all who made this possible. We need to celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. She went into a preborn clinic, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Just 28 bucks a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, it is a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together, help mothers choose life. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Preborn fundraises separately for all the administrative costs, so every dollar you give goes straight towards saving babies. Go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and donate right now. Speaking of matters of diversity, Microsoft is very proud of itself. Microsoft has just issued its uh, diversity and inclusion report for 2023, and it, it has the uh, results of its pay equity agenda. And the results of the pay equity agenda, they're very 
proud to brag about, are that racial minorities who are eligible for rewards earn $1.007 in total pay for every $1 that white employees earn. So you might say, well, that's not a huge difference. No, but they're just, they're pointing out there is a difference and the racial minorities make more money for the same jobs. Specifically, according to the report, black and African-American employees, I'm not quite sure what the distinction is there, but they make a distinction, earn $1.004 and Asian-American employees earn a higher $1.012 for every $1 earned by white employees with matching job titles and levels and tenure. So you might say, okay, well, hold on. Is this just some kind of bogus statistic like the gender pay gap? You always hear about this, how women make 75 cents on the dollar for every man for the same work. and the same. Except that turns out not to be true because when you control for experience, for hours worked, when you control for everything that would go into a job, when you even control for the, the aggressiveness with which men and women negotiate for higher pay, the gender pay gap totally disappears, which of course makes sense. If, if employers could save 25% on labor costs, they would only hire women for every job, if, if you were actually getting the same work. The same logic does not quite hold up here. Are, are we really to believe that black and Asian employees are working that many more hours? We're told this is basically for the same work. Are, are we to believe that black and Asian employees are that much more aggressive and uh, uh, talented at negotiating raises and higher pay than the white employees? I just don't think that's quite true. I think the distinction in human nature between men and women is far greater than the distinction between the races. So I suppose the caveat here is, I have no doubt that Google hates white people. Google's made that pretty clear with the Google Gemini AI, which erases white people from all of history and all of modern society. I think it's quite clear with the um, leftist political activism that the Google personnel engage in. I think it's quite clear from the very fact that they have this diversity and inclusion report. See see how much we stick it to whitey? See how, how many more advantages we give to uh, non-white people and to women? Uh, so, they obviously have that preference, and they might even have a fear. We live in a culture now where, uh, by law, you are you are told to discriminate against white people. Even after the affirmative action case, which uh, where the Supreme Court said this is obviously racial discrimination, you can't you can't take points off white applicants for colleges and Asian applicants for colleges. E- even after all of that. Uh, you, you still have a lot of DEI initiatives which are intended to punish white people and to give some advantage to non-white people. So even then, you might have employers, even if they weren't big leftists, who would say, look, I, I don't want to deal with the racial discrimination lawsuit. I know that there's an entire bureaucracy on the side of uh claims, real or imagined, of racial discrimination. So I'm just going to pay the racial minorities more because I just don't want to have to hear it. Yeah, whitey's bad. Go get whitey. He's terrible, right? Uh, I guess that's that's the only way I could see uh, racial minority men being all that much better at negotiating higher pay than than white men. Either way, it seems pretty perverse, pretty perverse that uh, one of the largest companies in the history of the world uh, is discriminating. And it, by the way, we're talking about Microsoft here. So we're not talking about Facebook. We're not talking about Google. We're not talking about, okay, we, we're talking about what I thought was one of the more uh, restrained when it comes to woke activism. And even still, 
You see them tatting. Yeah, go get go get Whitey. That guy's terrible. Go get him. We'll see how, see how wonderful it is that we're paying him less. Okay, speaking of relations between the sexes, a man has gone viral for defending his wife's polyamory. Take it away. So your wife's dating another woman. <laughs> nice. All right, whatever's in your head, no. Just no. What, you're telling me you're not going to have some fun with them? Probably not. We're not dating this person together. It's not my relationship. Then what do you get out of it? Nothing. It's not for me. It's not my relationship. <laughs> I would never let my woman... Let my woman... And I'm done. What's going on? Ooh, unfortunately that means you have lost this round of talk to a douchebag about polyamory. You had to keep up a conversation for one minute and you made it about 25 seconds. Fortunately, you do have an opportunity for a bonus round. Nope. Pass. I'm out. Okay, so this this video has gone viral on TikTok. It's I don't know if any of this is true. It's hard for me to imagine this man is married, but let's say he is. I don't see any kids around in the background. I don't. It doesn't he doesn't sound like a father? It doesn't. Um, you know, I don't see toys. I see probably his own toys. He seems like an overgrown adolescent saying, "Oh, I'm not. Are you kidding me? I, my wife can go date whoever. I, I'm just glad to. I'm go, glad to go along for the ride." Which raises the question to me, in what way is this guy married? I guess maybe he went to a judge, maybe even got married in a church or so. I don't know, but probably not. But like, I guess legally he's married, but what, what is marriage to that guy? This ties in with a lot of the debates we've all been having recently on, on what marriage is. This was the subject of my CPAC speech uh, on what men and women are, what it, it all gets really blurry. And it proves the social conservatives were obviously totally correct, as they always are about everything. But when the social conservatives said, hey, if we really start tinkering around with marriage, if we really start tinkering around even with the sexual revolution, we're going to lose marriage. We're going to lose the very distinction between men and women. That's exactly what happened. With this man, this man says his, his wife is half a lesbian and goes out and dates some girl. I wonder if he would be this passive if it were a man. Maybe he would. He, he seems to suggest that he would. He says, well, I don't, I don't let my woman do anything. She can do whatever she wants. And we, okay, so if you, if you and your wife have no obligations to one another, if you can just go do whatever you want, you can never tell the other person anything, you know, to, to do anything, and you, you can never be jealous even. Or, how are you married? It sounds like you're just roommates. And that's, that's what marriage is probably a lot of the time these days. You're just, you're sort of roommates. And this goes a lot deeper than just, you know, the dastardly homosexuals. It's real, I, I, sometimes the conservatives are a little too quick to blame those who are a little light in the loafers, you know, a little bit sweet, got a little sugar in the tank, when actually these problems go back a little bit further than that. Marriage, I made the audacious claim that marriage is a, a union of a man and a woman for the sake, ordered toward the education and procreation of children. That's, that's what it's for. You know a thing by what it's for. The leftist ears tumbler is for giving me leftist ears. The microphone is for uh, conducting my mellifluous tones to you. And, and that's what marriage is for. Okay, we got rid of that with contraception. We got, we got rid of that it's 50 years ago. More than 50 years ago at this point. Okay, so then what's next? Well, marriage is... Uh, a, a union of a man and a wife for the good of the spouses. Well, why is it just got to be a man and a wife? If we're, if we're taking children out of the equation, then why is it got to be a man and a wife? Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. It can be a couple of dudes. Hey, by the way, 
if now that we've taken children out of the equation and that children are the stickiest part about a marriage, why does it have to be a, a lifelong union? Can't we just kind of split it up? What if you just don't like this person anymore? Okay, yeah, we can split it up. We can have no fault divorce and we can erase the distinctions between the sexes and we forget about having children and we can. So then what is it? What is it? It's not that it's become something new. It's not that it's expanded to become something larger or greater. It just disappears. And husbands end up like this cuckold who who brags about being a cuckold on TikTok to show how pr- progressive he is. Yeah. We're we're all we're all really being cuckolded. Not only of uh losing the the people dearest to us as this guy has of losing our whole civilization that's what's happening that's a that's a, a really supreme kind of cuckoldry the rest of the show continues now if you don't want to miss it become a member use code nolts at checkout for two months free on all annual plans